Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Courtney Harris of Courtney Harris Coaching. She is a coach for parents, teens, tweens, and everything in between, and she's here today to talk to us about how we can foster healthier relationships with our kids. Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on the program. Thank you, Karina. It's nice to be here. So I think it's really interesting, your background. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, uh, I guess, got into this type of coaching in the first place? Yes. Yes. So I have a pretty long history at this point of being in education, being an educator, and I've taught in all kinds of schools from public school to private school, as well as in-home private work. And so over the course of several years, I've had the experience and an honor of working with children from first grade all the way through 12th grade. And in my work as a teacher, I started to really hone in on what I felt really gifted in and the parts of the job that were just speaking the most to my heart and that I felt like, okay, these are my gifts, these are my skills, and this is what I love. And so over time, I was able to just kind of essentialize that and um, realize that it was it was the mentorship, it was the relationships, the one-on-one relationships and small group. Um, but as a teacher, as you might know, you often have a lot more students than small group. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I started to kind of like take, basically I was just essentializing, taking the, the parts of teaching that I loved the most and just kind of sat with that, like, what does this mean? What What is this work that I do and I love? And that's how I began to conceptualize life coaching for teens, which I had heard of life coaching for adults. And what I knew and understood of it was that it was a space for self-exploration, for being curious, mm-hmm. for setting goals, having accountability and growing. And I was like, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. No questions asked. Like, it honestly came very organically mm-hmm. that I was able to define or understand what this work is that I wanted to be doing full-time. Right. And so you've had experience with really the the full age spectrum, so yes. to speak. Um, what were maybe some of the things that, I don't know, I guess you, you notice about kids as they move through those different ages? You know, what's the difference mm-hmm. between working with kids in that, um, I guess, elementary school level, middle school, mm-hmm. high school, how that mm-hmm. changes? Well, the interesting thing is, Yes, there's differences, but then I'll like contradict myself and before I even start and say that pretty much the same things that work with young children end up working with middle schoolers or high schoolers or young adults and vice versa, that many of the the best strategies come from the same kind of like foundational pieces of connection and and really listening. Um, But when it comes to the differences, you know, I would definitely say that over um, in my experience of working with children with different ages, I really found that middle schoolers and high schoolers particularly were looking for external 
um, mentors and mm-hmm. inspirations and guides. And, you know, I think if we think back to our own teenage years, there were probably celebrities that we loved. There were probably, you know, certain teachers that we found felt like, oh, they really get me. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, d- different adults. And as I was experiencing that from the adult perspective, I was recognizing that there really is a need here. And um, one thing that I like to point out is as a teacher, there is a power differential that feels really different to me than coaching does. Mm. Because at the end of the day, I have to give a grade. And so even though I could build those relationships, there's still this thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. and even if, um, even if my focus as a teacher was not on the grades, the system and the structure is still built that way. And in coaching, you know, if a client ever asks me something like, are you mad I didn't do that? My answer is like, are you mad that you didn't do that? Because the coaching experience is not about me. It's not about performing for me to show me anything. It's you, their process as mm-hmm. the client. Um, and so that's, that's just the need that I kept seeing over time as young people, adolescents looking for these mentors. Right. And you're definitely right that you can kind of see where the student-teacher relationship kind of always has those certain constraints mm-hmm. that, you know, in a certain way they view you as, you know, your job is to yeah. pass the judgment on them, so to speak. <laughs> and if they don't get the good grades or they mm-hmm. don't do the work, then you can't say, hey, you know what, it's okay, let's talk about it. Yeah. You have to actually, like, give them the bad grade, and that's <laughs> kind of the job. It's tricky. Um, You know, and then also what you mentioned about, you know, thinking about when we were teens, um, I totally know what you mean. You're starting to kind of get into that area where you're going from seeing adults as like kind of like woo-woo boogie monster kind of feeling Mm -hmm. the way you do when you're a Mm -hmm. kid. And then you start kind of, you're looking at, you know, especially in middle school or freshman year or something, you're looking at the upperclassmen You're looking Mm -hmm. at the adults and you're starting to see yourself as like, how do I get into being this thing called an adult? What is this thing called an adult? Mm -hmm. Um, So you can really see where there is that need for um, for teens to have in a relationship with an adult that isn't in those constraints of parent-teacher. Right. Or, I'm sorry, not parent-teacher, but teacher-student or parent-child. Um, so that they can kind of have that, I guess, a uh, little ramp, so to speak, easing them into understanding what it is to be an adult. It's true. Yes. And, you know, as you're sharing that, what was coming up is something that I do educate clients on, too, is what it means to have a teenage brain. And it's interesting because, you know, you'll often hear parents say like, oh, my teenager is so hormonal. Um, but the work of Dan Siegel really talks about how it's not their hormones. It's just their brain. So yes, there's changes in hormones and we're going to go through those throughout our life in many cycles. Mm -hmm. But there is a really specific and intense period of brain development happening during the teenage years and that our brains are not fully developed until our mid to late 20s. And so part of an aspect of that teenage brain is doing things that may be considered risk-taking and kind of like Mm. testing the edge. And another element of that is the social component where instead of kind of seeing um, the family or your, you know, whoever you're growing up with as maybe like the default or the norm, you begin to like look to the outside world and see like, okay, well, how, how do I, how am I showing up in comparison to this person or Mm -hmm. in relation to this person? And, and so those years of beginning to look outside are a normal and natural and awesome part of being a teenager. And so they do need a council of 
not just friends, but of adults right. supporting them. Mm-hmm. You had talked um, earlier about kind of how the, uh, I guess, foundations of working with kids, mm-hmm. no matter what age group they are, there's kind of these certain foundational things that are the same mm-hmm. um, for all ages. Can you kind of just, I guess, lay out those foundations, yeah. so to speak, that parents should know? Yes. So, well, one thing that... I use the word connect a lot, and so I'll just start there. When I talk about connection, what I am what I'm focused on in the work of coaching is helping support young people to connect with themselves, but also to connect with others. And then there's a third layer to connect with community. So you can view that as concentric circles. And so we always start um, in that first circle, which is all about the self, connecting to self, self-awareness and... Um, just identity. And so what I think about when I'm a second layer, I'm in the second layer to any teen that I'm working with or have the the honor to, to witness, mm-hmm. um, I take the role of, first of all, what I do is I focus on affirming and I focus on really listening. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the foundational strategies that I would just say across the board. The more that adults can listen to young people, the better the space for that relationship to grow. Mm. The reason is, you know, kids and teens, they often find themselves wanting to perform for adults or find that there's, you know, there's some expectation that there's coming from the outside that they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And when we can actually, like, give them the space to know, hey, it's not just about performing for anybody, it's about your process They'll step into that, and it really helps them grow their internal, com- you know, their internal compass, their confidence, their mm. sense of self. So I guess the all of these words are to say the more that we can listen, and even honestly, the less you can give advice and just witness a child, the better. Interesting. Yeah. So I think we often think about <laughs> ourselves as needing to be the ones that give the advice and the guidance. And actually you're saying that just listening to them Mm -hmm. is maybe even more important than trying to always have the answer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's definitely one of the foundational pieces. Um, A second is, well, I use this word in that first kind of description, but is affirming, is Mm -hmm. really acknowledging where they are. And, And this is connected to the not giving advice, but Teenagers, particularly young people, they want to be seen for who they are, not for, they don't want to be judged by who they think you want them to be. And so anytime that we can say something like, I see you, or I hear you, or I hear that that's really hard for you, I hear that you're really excited about blank, right? Whatever Mm -hmm. the context is. And the more that we can just like let statements like that and and our heart be enough, mm-hmm. that's also better because we're not um, interjecting our own opinions or ideas about the world. We're allowing them to just like be where they are. Right. And yes, don't get me wrong. There are times and places to offer advice and to set boundaries. But if we're just talking about like the foundation of how to connect with young people, these are two really good strategies. Mm-hmm. I also think about that element of, um, you know, thinking back to when I was a teenager, you know, that feeling that you want to be respected mm-hmm. and that even though you're not quite an adult yet, you have mm-hmm. that feeling that you want to have the respect of other adults. Yeah. So that one piece of 
being listened to and that affirmation, Mm -hmm. um, you can really see that it fosters maybe that feeling of mutual respect Mm -hmm. as well. So that the more that you're, um, you know, your teenager is feeling that you really respect them and you want to listen to them and you, Mm -hmm. you know, feel that they are giving you insights into things. And that also in turns is going to like help them have more respect for you and what you have to say. Um, certainly having like a one way relationship is never, is never really beneficial. And then you have that kind of rebellious, Mm -hmm. um, impulse, which I think all of us can identify with that rebellious (laughs) impulse too, but you can kind of like, um, perpetuate that or exacerbate that by not listening to them or not, not letting them feel that they're being really equally respected. That's really true. That's that's true. And and actually, it makes me think of another great strategy, which is asking more questions. So along with, you know, these things all, they all get kind of mashed up. And I think each strategy feeds the next. But, you know, when we're showing respect by listening and by affirming, we we can also invite teenagers into the conversation, not just into the conversation with us, but into the conversation with themselves, into connecting with themselves and reflecting when we ask more questions and open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, going back to that example or what I was saying, how uh, a client may, a client may ask, they may say, are you mad that I didn't do blank, right? Um, Or sometimes as a classroom teacher, this would happen. Students would say, is this good? And my question is always to ask it back. Is this good for you? Like, would you call this good? Mm -hmm. Um, Or what are your thoughts and feelings about how you did this? Mm. So instead of the judgment again and the expectations coming from the adult, we're fostering this internal sense of self. And questions are an excellent way to do that. First of all, because they let the teenager actually critically think how did I do this? Yeah. <laughs> and what did go well? What didn't go well? What do I want to do better next time or different next time? Mm-hmm. Um, so questions are always really useful. And one that I often share with parents is if a teenager says something like, oh, I, I don't want to go to that camp. It's really, it's, it's boring. It sucks. A question you can always ask is, what does that mean to you? Like, let's hear more. So instead Mm. of immediately saying, oh, you always give up, or instead of taking something personal when a teenager doesn't want to do something, just asking more about, like, what does that really mean for you? Mm. Or can you say more about that? Those are questions that you can pretty much use across the board for almost any interaction, and not just with teenagers, of course. Like, this works with young adults, younger children, everyone. And I think, too, you know, hearing you say that, Um, maybe another question is like, you know, well, what, what is it that sucks about it? You Mm -hmm. know, I think that there's a lot of times maybe this, um, again, thinking about like when I was a teenager and like, you're just kind of like maybe not sharing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like, how can you get them to open up? How can Mm -hmm. you get them to share those things that are inside and maybe like driving them crazy, but that they... (laughs) If they're not invited to share that, then like maybe they just kind of keep it bottled up. Mm-hmm. So kind of using those questions to also help them realize, well, is it that you don't like the activities that they do or you don't like that it's outside and you have to sleep outside camping, but mm-hmm. maybe there's another type of camp or something that you want to do or maybe right. um, it's music camp and you end up discovering, oh, they're just really not into to being in band. Well, let's maybe get them into a different activity. Mm-hmm. 
um, just that whole piece of kind of inviting them to uh, really share what they're feeling um, and how much more validated they feel and that maybe even discover things about them through these conversations that help them to discover the things that they really do want to do and that Mm -hmm. they can be passionate about. And I think as parents, you know, we want to see our kids do things that they love and that they feel passionate about. And I think a big kind of piece of growing up is discovering those things, right? you know, and looking Mm -hmm. back, I never would have, I never had any idea as a kid that I would end up like being interested in health and want to be a health coach. Like I never Mm -hmm. in a million years would have thought of that. So just that discovery that's happening in those years is a really, um, you know, something that if you can help them in that discovery process, I could see that being really beneficial. Absolutely. Yes. And I love, love, love that you use the word invite because that's a word I find myself often using in my writing. And um, I have a blog, which is primarily for parents. There's a segment for teenagers as well. But I'm often using that word invite because everything is an invitation, right? It's it's not necessarily a requirement or an expectation, but when mm. it comes across as an invitation or an opportunity, then we get to sit with it and think like, hmm, do I want to take this invitation or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it gives it gives teenagers more a deeper sense of agency, you know, a sense of like I am a part of this life that I'm creating. It's not being done to me. I'm a part of it. I'm co-creating, you know, with with my family or co-creating with whoever. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, with my schoolmates, with my whatever. You start to like learn that you're a part of the process, yeah. not just sitting around watching life happen. Mm -hmm. I also think about how, you know, good it feels when you do create something that you're really proud of Mm -hmm. or when you feel that you've done a really good job on something. Um, And a lot of times, you know, in your youth, that can be difficult because you're in like math class and Mm -hmm. science class. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to uh, get really passionate about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, there's just idea of helping them to discover those things that they might be really interested in mm-hmm. or feel really passionate about. I think about, you know, arts and crafts projects and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, I would also think that the more that a parent can um, be fostering that communication and asking those questions, you're also kind of discovering those areas that maybe you can introduce them into, you know, maybe it's music or sports or whatever, but helping them to discover that thing that they're going to feel so passionate about Mm -hmm. and then feel that really great sense of pride and accomplishment that you feel when you do something that you really, really love. And it's a different feeling than doing well on a test or whatever, Mm -hmm. which also can feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would imagine that, you know, Every, every child is different. Every teenager is different. And I know for me, I got a lot of gratification out of getting A's on papers and stuff. But mm-hmm. I know there were a lot of kids that, like, they didn't care about that. So I think, you know, that having um, just an intention to help your your child discover those different things they can be passionate about would be really valuable. For sure. Yes. And, well, one thing that, as you were speaking that came to my mind is that I do end up having quite a lot of conversations with teenagers and with clients about you don't have to like everything and there are going to be things that you like, there's going to be things that you love, there's going to be things you don't like and these lists can all get, you know, stuff can move between the lists at mm. any point in time and acknowledging that it's okay to not love everything that you're doing. It's okay if 
math class feels hard. And so within mm. this, within, you know, all these categories that any opportunity may fall, how can we sustain what we, what we need to show up for every day? Mm-hmm. So it's okay if you don't love math. And how are we going to work with that? And it's awesome that you love art. And how are we going to work with that? So it's kind of like letting it all be okay, Mm -hmm. even when it doesn't feel like it's okay. (laughs) Right. And maybe just that one element of learning to cope with the feeling of when you do get a bad grade on something or when you do have to do something that you really feel Mm -hmm. you're not good at or is difficult or you just don't like it or whatever, because that's, uh, you know, really, I guess, important lesson in life in general, because there's always going to be things throughout your life that that don't turn out the way you wanted them to, or you tried your best and then it still doesn't turn out, or it's hard to even pull up that motivation to try your best on something because it's paying bills or whatever. This is something that you just don't (laughs) like. So just that element of helping them to cope with that feeling of like disappointment or whatever that you can end up accounting a lot uh, in adulthood. Yes. (laughs) So it kind of be a valuable thing for them to learn. Yeah. And there's not... From what I recall of my schooling, I don't really remember there ever being any component of, of learning to deal with that disappointment feeling. Totally. That's a good point. I don't either. And I was also a perfectionist, and I did feel like my worth was based on, on my A's or on these like external achievements. And so mm. I think what you're pointing out is that in coaching, the shift is a lot more to that internal compass is into, you know, that yes, we're going to show up in our external world and it's awesome when we do things that make us proud. And it's even more awesome when it's really coming from the inside. And so, you know, these, the ways that we might've felt like our education was not as holistic. Mm. That's what my coaching practice is really bringing in is a lot more of the the understanding of self and the emotional self and, and all the layers of ourselves, not just how we perform. Right. And um, yeah, something else came to mind, but I'm sure it will come back because I've lost <laughs> it. <laughs> Are there any other um, foundations that you want to mention before we move on? Uh, those are the three main ones, I would just say, yeah, to to build that strong connection. Those are the main three that I would recommend. Okay. Yeah. So thinking about all of your experience working with different children, um, are there any, um, I guess, like common th- trends, so to speak? So for mm-hmm. instance, children that are um, maybe really shy or um, introverted, as they say, um, are there special techniques for dealing with with kids who are maybe introverted and maybe they are hearing things from their teacher like, oh, they're not social or they mm-hmm. don't do well with other kids or things like that? Yeah, well, it's interesting because most of the, the clients that I get that do identify as introvert, it's interesting because it's often the the child is the one kind of sharing to their parents or sharing something like, it's you know, it's hard to connect or I'm feeling mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And the truth is, and I know this from working in the schools, that a regular school day is more built for an extrovert, especially the modern classroom where many children are seated in groups, small groups that are meant to be collaborative. So there's like this constant stimulation of working together. Mm. 
the sounds in a school. Um, I identify as an introvert, and over my 10 years of teaching, I just kept getting more and more sensitive to the volume of being in a school. Oh, yeah. um, what a school day feels like, the bells, the announcements, the hallways having thousands of kids in them. And so what I do when I'm working with a young person that's an introvert is helping them actually understand what sensations are triggering them, so to speak, which mm. sensations are bringing on the overwhelm, and helping them actually understand what that overwhelm looks like, sounds like, and feels like to them. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's a new concept. I think that, sure, we we know what we know that crying means sad and yelling means mad, but there's a lot of nuanced feelings. And right. to help a young person actually get in touch with what's happening in their whole body and mind as they're having an emotional response is a really massive tool, right? Mm-hmm. Because once they start to understand what signals, like, oh, my, I feel a tightness in my chest or I'm gripping my hands, when they know that those things are signals of their overwhelm, they're more likely to make a next best step or to take a step that can be more self self-soothing or comforting, mm. um, something that may bring them into more connection rather than disconnection. Yeah. So that's a starting point, it, you know, for, for anyone that's introvert or identifies as being an introvert or a highly sensitive person is focusing on what are those body signals. And we may not be able to change everything else that's happening in the school day, but if you know your signals and you can identify a plan of steps that you can take to self-soothe, then it's going to, it's going to feel a lot better. Right. Um, so then I guess I already kind of started talking about the second piece, which is developing strategies to self-soothe. And this can be all kinds of things. Um, you know, I'm not just speaking to the social component right now, but I will integrate that. But, you know, I've, I've worked with kids that end up bringing like small weighted blankets that they can put on their laps or, Mm even headphones that they can wear in certain times of the day. And it doesn't look weird because every kid loves wearing headphones. And it's awesome because you don't have to listen to anything, but you can offer yourself a little bit of peace and quiet. Yeah. Um, when it comes to connecting, it's like I, den- I work with a lot of teenagers to identify what are the spaces that you feel the most comfortable because that's where you'll have more leverage to to talk to someone, right? Mm. That's where you're going to feel more like yourself, you're showing up and you're more able to check in with someone and see how they're doing. Or, you know, shared interests is another great strategy. I'll also just make a plug for Susan Cain's work. She uh, writes and speaks about introverts. And she has a book that's for young people. Um, her Her adult book is called Quiet. And I think... Hmm, I can't remember the title for young people, but it also has quiet in the title. Maybe it's like quiet power. And that's a great resource that I often share with clients that identify as introverts as well. Yeah. Um, Just hearing you talk about noticing those, uh, I guess, physical manifestations of Mm -hmm. whether it's that feeling of anxiety or or overwhelm, like you said. I mean, we have that as adults, too. Mm -hmm. And I've had to do my own kind of exploration in that way. Um, Sort of, you know, when you start feeling those, um, it's kind of like a ramping up feeling Mm -hmm. of like your heart's racing faster, your breathing gets shallower, like you said, the clenching of the fists, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Just being able to bring your attention to something and just 
you know, taking those feelings that kind of feel like a big giant lurking question mark and just giving them the space that like, okay, you're, you're being seen, you're acknowledged that like this feeling happens and it happens to all of us. You know, I know as a kid, that was a big thing for me was just like that process of learning that even though it feels like it's all just happening to you and that no one else Mm -hmm. knows what this is like, you know, a big part of that kind of growing up, at least for me, was realizing that like, oh, we all like feel anxious in in social situations sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like we all feel nervous about things. We all feel like we're um, you know, having those kind of self-judgments like, oh, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to finish this? You know, that's not something that makes us weird or strange or whatever. Yeah. That's like the things that make us human. Um, but as a kid, that feels really scary. Um, so yeah, having the acknowledgement of what those feelings are. And then, like you said, having some kind of little uh, technique or, or whatever that you do when you do start noticing those things. So for me, I'm sitting in traffic or I'm whatever, getting in a stressful situation, I kind of have that little mental checklist that I go through that's like take a deep breath, try to relax, you know, unclench my hands or unclench my jaw or like whatever it is, Mm -hmm. relaxing. Um, I actually use a little acronym called BRENT. Um, So breathe, uh, taking slow, deep breaths, relax your face, relax your jaw, relax your shoulders, Um, enjoy find something to enjoy about where you are. Um, So I like your idea Mm -hmm. of maybe they have headphones or they have a weighted blanket or they have something that is comforting and that can, even in a really stressful, bad situation, like you're taking a really bad exam or something, you have something you can enjoy about Mm -hmm. the moment. And then the N is for noticing something different or um, just getting out of all of the things you're fixated on and challenging yourself to notice something different about what's going on where you are and then being thankful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so even as an adult, I like actually have my little, yes. um, you know, uh, checklist, so to speak, that I can use when I start noticing all those crazy feelings come up. And it's uh, it's been really, really useful for me. So That's I can awesome. see where something like that would be really useful um, when you're in med- middle school, high school, I mean, all those times are so, um, can be so overwhelming. Um, so I think it's great that you're kind of offering them really hands-on techniques for dealing with those feelings. Yeah. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychytruth where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychytruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. Thank you so much for that strategy. And one thing that it makes me remember to share is that oftentimes in my blogs, I'm sharing with parents that when you're intentional and you share a little bit about your experience as Mm -hmm. an adult, it also helps normalize. So like you're sharing, Karina, yeah, we still do this stuff as adults. It's not weird. It's not strange. It's actually a strength to know ourselves and to know what we need and to have tools to help ourselves feel like our best selves. And so 
in our interactions with teenagers, we don't want to um, dominate the conversation and like go into a, hey, let me tell you of all my challenges and everything I do where we, where we dominate that conversation. But yes, when it's relevant, we can share how we, how we feel our best. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you were sharing your acronym, it made me think of another one that we, I, we can share with the audience that um, it's a grounding practice. And I Actually, I've shared this with several clients lately, and they love, love, love it. And we typically do it outside, but then they've reported, many of them have reported back that they do it in their classrooms and that it's been really helpful. So you find five things that you can see. So you just look around. You name five things. Usually you try to find something, you know, interesting, what catches your eye. Then um, four things that you can touch three things that you can hear. That's my favorite one. Two things that, oh, now I'm going to lose my, what are the senses? (laughs) So five things you can see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can hear. Um, What is left? Smell. (laughs) Smell. Two things you can taste, or two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. And that's when you kind of do that it's essentially, you know, it's it helps you sort of scan your body, but also mm. more scan the environment, and it can help you feel more grounded. Yeah. So that's a technique that anyone listening can use, parents can use, or share with their teenagers. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to start using that too. Hopefully you remember what the two things and the one things are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think that there's just that element that, you know, when we start feeling overwhelmed and stuff, it's like the blinders go on and you're mm-hmm. just like this and it just gets more and more narrow. Mm -hmm. So I love that exercise of moving through the senses because it's just kind of like, how can we take the blinders off? Um, That is definitely something that, um, you know, it's it's those little things that are all around us all the time Mm -hmm. that we kind of learn to tune out, you know, especially being in a really loud school or something. There's so much noise around that you're not probably noticing a lot of the other sounds and little things. So when you can kind of tap into those deeper elements of your environment and just really challenge your brain to engage with the environment in ways that maybe you weren't before or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I think is really an effective way of helping you, like you said, kind of that grounding effect, but just feeling like you're maybe taking the weight of the world off your shoulders in a way. That's true. And it's actually reminding me of when I did a mindfulness yoga training, we, um, the instructor, Sean Kent, he's local here in Austin, gave us the resource of orienting. That's what he called it. So when we arrive in a new space, you mm-hmm. orient, right? You look around, you see like, okay, where's the door? What do I notice around me? You might find something beautiful. And um, those kinds of techniques can offer us that safety and stability, especially if we do feel like we're highly sensitive or if we're an introvert. When things are overstimulating, it is important for us to know what elements make us feel safe because it might be the door and Mm -hmm. it might be the one person that I know and identify where they are or I want to know where the water fountain is. And it's different for all of us what's going to be the you know, the deciding factor or what makes us feel the most safe. Mm -hmm. But that kind of orienting and scanning our environment can can really help us feel more like ourselves in a situation that is not our optimal or ideal. Mm -hmm. 
So to maybe take it on the other end of the spectrum, um, what about kids that are more extroverted? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was talking earlier about the like rebellious nature yeah. and things like that. Like what are your techniques um, for those types of children? Honestly, it's a lot of the same of getting in touch with what's, what is the feeling when you're having an impulse to mm. do something, right? Like what's happening again in your body? It still might be a heart rate thing or it still might be, you know, your, your body might be leaning forward or there's certain signals that young people are often able with enough practice and, and even just the time and prompting to think through, okay, what's happening in my body? So there's that, of course. There's just like that body-mind connection. Um, there's also a focus, and we do this, I do this as well with uh, clients who are introverts, but looking at that second circle. So the first circle is again, self. The second circle is connection to others. And so we also just talk about like, what connections are feeling good? What connections are feeling difficult? Um, And so with extroverts, it's kind of like, what are you noticing in your connections? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes your behaviors could be Um, maybe a a little too intense for some people, or maybe you're getting feedback that you did go a little too far or a little too loud or a little too strongly. And just like checking in with what, how is what you're doing, or I guess I'll speak if I'm the one reflecting, how is what I'm doing showing up in the relationships with other people? How Mm -hmm. is it influencing them? And just checking in with what parts of that feel good to me and and what I might like to adjust or change. Mm -hmm. So self-awareness is just a part of it with any client that I work with. Right. Um, the other thing that was coming to mind with when we're talking about, I guess this would be more of a parenting strategy, but when you're working with a teenager that is doing more of these risk-taking behaviors, it's helping them understand that they have a teenage brain. I'll go back to that again, that helping them understand that it is normal to be kind of trying to find your edge Mm. and actually talking about what that means because sometimes it's maybe an impulsive routine that they've gotten into, but they're not really understanding that, hey, this is a part of, of my development and I can slow down and check in with, okay, am I at my edge right now? Mm. And what do I want to do with that? Instead of it just being that impulsive pattern. Right. And I think there's also maybe this piece that, um, you know, like you said, looking at how you affect the world around you. Mm -hmm. Like as a teenager, I don't remember ever asking myself, like, how do my actions affect other people? Or Mm -hmm. how does my, you know, acting this way affect my mom and my dad or whatever? So, yeah, just that self-awareness piece is definitely something Mm -hmm. that um, I could see would have a lot of benefit. And then it also just brings, you know, kind of going back to that, um, you know, we talked about early that you're just like giving them the affirmation and giving them the acknowledgement that you see them and you're there. And I think that there's probably um, a certain amount of that behavior that's just them like wanting that attention and wanting that, um, you know, to be noticed, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you're really giving them that and then even taking it to the next level where it's like, well, how are your actions affecting other things? that it kind of is playing off both pieces of that, that they're being acknowledged and that they're also starting to recognize how their actions affect the world around them. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And as a teacher, I learned and was trained in restorative practices. And part of that model is that any repair, so after any sort of conflict or, you know, if there's some something that's kind of a family conversation goes off the deep end or, you know, the teenager does do something that the parents would like to find a consequence for, mm. um, the idea of restorative practices is to, like, repair those harms mutually and together and to explore how did we each feel affected by this behavior, by this thing that happened. Mm. And so I also teach restorative practices with families because it also teaches the teenager to slow down and to think about, okay, yes, how did these actions impact others? How did it impact me? Because usually they're able to figure out that certain things were not good for them, right? And it's not at all to instill any, like, fear or shame, but it really is the authentic process of learning and understanding their agency. And then, you know, for parents, it can be challenging to, to practice these restorative models because it also means like letting your kid have a pretty loud voice and it doesn't mean again that you're not going to put boundaries into place but you're letting them really work through their stuff Mm -hmm. and you have to breathe and remember they have a teenage brain and they they don't have a fully formed adult brain to think through all the consequences um, and allow them to sort of be a little bit messy in figuring this stuff out Mm -hmm. and they may not get it the first time. Mm I'm not at all proposing that parents don't give any consequences at all, but I think that when they can come together and decide on an appropriate and meaningful consequence together, Mm. that's going to be the most beneficial. So, you know, when you're asking about kids that may be doing more risk-taking behaviors, anytime it's like, okay, well, your car's gone, your, your, you know, your phone's gone, that's going to be done to them. And it's the their reaction is likely to battle against that force right. rather than understand it and learn from it and go with it. So, you know, those conversations, they're hard. They're not one-timers. <laughs> it's a process. It's hard for everyone. Mm-hmm. But I am really an advocate for rather than punishment or even consequences, like co-created repairs. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Can you maybe give an example on that? Because I think yeah. this whole restorative handling, bad behaviors, handling, you know, fights and things like that mm-hmm. is definitely something that happens a lot. All the time. <laughs> Super normal. Yes. Okay. So, you know, one thing that I've heard come up with clients is say they failed some classes and they've been, you know, skipping school, just not having um, maybe what their parents are considering or what society considers the ideal Mm-hmm. academic behavior. A parent's result or a parent's go-to idea for a consequence is often to take away their phones. We know that phones are a really challenging conversation. We could have an entire <laughs> segment about s- phones. Um, so parents will often say like, okay, well, we're going to take away the privilege of your phone or your car. That Those have nothing to do with academics though. Mm. In the teenage brain, I mean, even in the adult brain, that's <laughs> Not related. Right. And so when a consequence is not relevant, again, it just feels like being done too. And mm. so in and then that... then you resent the parent because they're doing absolutely. that bad thing to you. Totally. And so now you might be angry because you don't have your phone. You might act out more about it and you don't understand what it has to do with school. And so even like 
the school part is still not getting improved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so if the family can meet together and say, you know, what what are your goals for being in school? So again, we'll go back to questions. What are your goals for being in school? Or what are some things that you'd like to accomplish? What's important to you that you'd like to, to take care of before you're 18? So asking some questions, helping the child draw out what does motivate them. Yeah. Then moving into... Um, even like what are some of your needs to get there? What do you think that you can do to get there? Because their consequence might be that they need to go to tutoring two times a week. Yeah. That's relevant and related. And is actually going to probably <laughs> help bring the scores up. Yes. And when the child can be a part of that conversation and developing that consequence, the chances of improvement are drastically higher. Right. Yeah. I also think back to what we were saying a little while ago, which is that just element where you're learning to accept that, like, math class is hard. Science class is hard. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have teachers that are mean or they're, <laughs> you know, you don't like them or whatever. Just like in life, you're going to have mm -hmm. people, you mm -hmm. know, or coworkers or whatever. Like, that's just part of life. You have to learn how to coexist with people that you don't necessarily love and want to spend every minute with. Um, so that element of helping them, you know, determine like maybe it's, is it just the teacher you don't like or is it the, you know, curriculum that's too hard and we need to, yeah, like you said, get a tutor or maybe do something like, you know, every day when you get home, you work on your homework for an hour in the kitchen where we can watch you or something mm -hmm. like that, that there's, um, you know, this feeling that you're not just punishing them, but right. going like, how can I help you? can I help you to get better grades? What can we do? Do we need to, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is that helps the child to perform better or the teen, I'm sure that teenagers yeah. don't like be calling, to okay. be called children, but, um, <laughs> but they're you know, all the, the they're all children of the parents. Right. So okay. Right. But you know, how do I help you perform better? And, you know, um, I think a lot about, you know, I, I wish that, you know, when I was a teenager, somebody had come to me and been like, hey, like, let's try all these different things until we find something that you really, really like to do. Because mm -hmm. I just kind of stumbled on things, you know, as I was growing up. And that's awesome. Um, but it's interesting that when you're in school, especially in high school, you know, there's this pressure to, like, kind of decide what you're going to do <laughs> or decide what you're going to yeah. be when you grow up. Mm -hmm. And that is, like, the worst feeling in the world. Yep. And there are some people out there who I think maybe knew from a very young age exactly what they wanted to do. But I would say maybe the majority of people, this is not really a, a super informed statistic or anything, but I would guess that the majority of people, we don't really know what it is we want to be when we grow up. So that's mm -hmm. a very, I, I remember that being very hard for me um, yeah. when I was in high school and you know, getting ready for college and all of this. And it felt like, oh, my God, I got to decide what I'm going to do with the rest of my life right now. Um, and it's really scary. And then it if is. you aren't getting the grades to facilitate, like, college and all of those things, then it starts to feel like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to do anything or whatever. Yeah. So, again, coming back to that idea of, like, you're not punishing them for being bad at math, but going, like, what can we do to help you with this thing? And hey, it's okay if math class is hard mm -hmm. and all of those different pieces that it's just more of a like working together thing than a, um, you're getting punished for this behavior type of thing. Totally. Yeah. And in everything that you're saying, you're, the way that you're drawing that example out too is the parent is listening. The parent is affirming and acknowledging. 
and the parent is asking questions, right? Like all, those three foundational strategies are in all, in that, right? right? They're also intertwined, and and the impact that it has in that relationship is really big. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I think sometimes also, um, I don't know. This just feels important to share that. Parents can often personalize what their teenager is doing, right? That it looks bad on the family or what did I do wrong or what did I miss out? Mm. And that's personalizing, which, yes, parents obviously have an influence on their child and their child's growth and development, and it's so important. Mm -hmm. And when they're teenagers, it's not about about the parent. A lot of times it's... um, it's not personal. It's not that the parent failed at something, did something mm. wrong. And even though we often feel like we want everything to look great on the outside and we don't want, you know, people to see our, our family falling apart, again, we're human. We're human. Things mm-hmm. are complicated, complex, mm-hmm. and we are going to have, for lack of better words, failures. And so for parents, I often coach into that about really focusing on, like, what are you experiencing and owning that for yourself in a way that you don't take it into the relationship with the teenager and add the pressure Mm. of them needing to perform for you um, or for them thinking that, you know, their, their problem is now your problem Mm -hmm. because it, we, we sometimes need that to be a little bit more compartmentalized. It's actually, you know, healthy to know that the child that you brought into the world is going to become their own human that makes their own choices. And in the teenage years, that's that's why they're taking risks and experimenting. They're trying to figure out what that's really going to mean for them. So they still need your guidance and support. Um, but when they make a, again, lack of better words, mistake, mm-hmm. it's, it's not personal. It's not a failure. Right. And I think that that kind of speaks to just the human nature that we like, we blame ourselves for things. Mm -hmm. And that's like across the board, all these different areas of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, especially in this relationship that is so delicate and so, um, you know, affected by this like multitude of different things Mm -hmm. and all of these other kids and teachers and pressures of adulthood that, you know, are different for our kids than they were for us Yeah, that are like maybe every five years or 10 years, it's significantly different. Um, the actual environment that they're in and all of the different things that they're having to synthesize. And, you know, um, we didn't even really talk about the influence of, uh, media, social media, TV shows, all of this, but I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a big piece of it too, that they're like taking in all of these, you know, advertisements and whatever messages that we as adults can kind of look at and be like, oh, yeah, well, that's a paid message from so-and-so or whatever. We can kind of think about it a little bit more um, objectively, I guess. Um, But as a teenager and then those years, you know, even prior prior to teenagers, all of these messages coming in that I would just imagine are – you know, significantly more overwhelming. When I was a kid, it was like the very, very beginnings of the internet and mm-hmm. chat rooms or whatever. And even that, I know my parents were like totally freaked out about. Yep. But I can't <laughs> even imagine now where it's like, you know, 
You're probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, seven or eight and you get on Facebook or something. Um, things are just so different that I think there's probably just this element as a parent that you have to just accept that you don't necessarily know all the things and you can't yeah. exactly put yourself in their shoes and understand exactly all the things they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So that that's kind of brings it back to the more that you can listen, the more insight you will get into what they are experiencing, mm-hmm. you know, what what's happening in their world and their social world and how are how are they experiencing social media and parents are more likely to get more information as they listen. And this is not across the board, you know, if parents are listening and they feel like, "Oh, I'm trying that, but my kid is not saying anything." It doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong. Um, mm. because sometimes uh, the strategies you may be you may be showing up with these strategies, and you may be um, maybe you've been using them for a long time, but you're still not getting all the feedback that you want from your teenager. That's definitely the case with some clients that I work with. Mm. And again, I go back to it's not personal. And then we talk about okay, so within this relationship, what does feel good? How can we find a connection? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's I just keep coming back to the word connection because that's even with um, the social media relationship for teenagers to stop and reflect on what am I doing in this realm? I don't Mm -hmm. know what else to call it, you know, (laughs) that is serving me, that is helping me feel creative. What is inspiring me? What is not feeling good? Mm. Because usually they're able to identify a point at which they're not feeling good about whatever they're doing on their phones when they're scrolling or texting. And so helping them learn that boundaries are a very normal and healthy part of growing and development. Mm -hmm. So So I just want to thank you so much for coming on the program. Do you have any closing thoughts here um, as we kind Mm. of bring this podcast to a close? Um, closing, Closing thoughts, I guess I would just say, you know, Continue to show up, continue to listen, continue to ask questions. This is for parents. Know that it's a process. And like I said previously, no conversation is just a, okay, check it off. We did it. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a process and it takes returning to it and a lot of patience. And so just to stay hopeful and know that you're planting the seeds, even if you're not seeing the flower bloom right now. You're planting the seeds, and it's all in process. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and I definitely want to have you on the program again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Karina. I want to thank all of you for tuning into the podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Courtney, you can visit CourtneyHarrisCoaching.com. And if you'd like to see the full video version of this interview, along with hundreds of other health and wellness videos, I hope you'll head over to wellnessplus.tv and start your free two-week trial today. Have a wonderful rest of your day or evening and come back and join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast, copyright 2018, Target Public Media, LLC, all rights reserved.